Welcome to the latest episode of EM Insider with me, Chris Slowly, and as always, my colleague, our intrepid Raphael Gassin. How are you doing, Raphael? Cheers, Chris. Back in business. Happy to be here. Well, exactly. You're back from Brazil. How was Brazil? If you had to go to one market in this current environment, I wouldn't pick Brazil. So how was it? Well, I, I had to go there for, for personal reasons, and, and I, it was pretty much as I expected. Uh, lots of the people who in the lower uh, grades uh, having to wear face masks because they have to work. Um, lots of people staying at home. Um, but it seemed like they were pretty concerned about it. But I think the, the highlight is uh, that, I, that I, I came back with is that it, it seems when you, when you follow the politics that, uh, that the country continues to be uh, a mess, and I would say directionless is more more likely. Um, there are lots. There's lots of uh, negotiation for for power, uh, as Bolsonaro is is losing power, and so he's giving a lot of it away to the the middle uh, parties, uh, parties in the center. Uh, and and I would say that again, I would say direction directionless, and and I couldn't say that enough times. I think that the Norwegians have come up with a, a group of investors who don't want to invest there because they don't trust uh, what Brazil is doing in terms of environment. Uh, and, and I would agree with that. And I have agreed with that, in fact, for the last 20 years. Um, so I, I would say that uh, as an investment theme, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I continue to not be very excited about being in Brazil. I just don't think you get paid uh, for, for the risk you're, you're, you're taking. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it seems like in every instance we talk about Brazil, this, this idea of the Nordic groups also comes up. But in the intervening period, we, la we last spoke at the end of June. We're now speaking at the end of July. And in between that, this pressure group, $4.6 trillion worth of asset management have come out and really put pressure on the Brazilian Congress. And then I saw today, when's this, uh, July 28th, Nordia are now also dropping a lot of Brazilian meat manufacturers for the same reason. So it seems like there is finally, if for better or worse, a lot of capital talking. There's a lot of companies putting pressure on the Brazilian government to improve its ESG. But do you think it's too little too late? Like you said, you've been talking about this for 20 years. Do you think they can actually do anything meaningful? I remember I had a conversation once with someone about ESG uh, in Brazil. And and the answer and and I also had a similar conversation with somebody in Italy. Huh? Not that I would like to point uh, fingers, no, um, but it, it went along a very strange direction. Um, and essentially, the guy was saying that if he wanted to to use um, uh, chemicals on his plant um, and didn't and, and wanted to remain ESG compliant that he could do that from using his personal uh, credit card right so that that gives you an idea I mean you could have people KPMG coming over and checking your your data but at the end of the day if the guy does that uh, you can't really trust it and and I think this is this is all over and I, I you know I I know people will say well this doesn't just happen in Brazil um, but I would say that the Brazilians, uh, the Brazilian government had an obligation to deal with this. Now, Dilma, the previous quote unquote president, if you can call her that, um, um, she and Lula uh, also were already 
doing the same thing. So we, we can't say this is a new phenomenon in Brazil. Uh, it's been going on for a while. People are not taking uh, the climate seriously. Uh, they're not taking the environment seriously. As you go to uh, nice beaches like Copacabana, Ipanema, in Rio, or, or the, the ones around, uh, a lot of people haven't learned not to throw plastic on the beach. Now, this, in my opinion, comes, it's a cultural issue, and it has to come from the, it's got to come from the top. I remember, I, you know, I grew up there, and people used to say Brazil was the country of the future, but I guess people didn't teach, uh, the government didn't teach people that in order to reach that level, you had to take care of your house, right? Of your home. So, so I, I, I think that these guys, it, it, it's, it, it's not a little too late. I mean, it's, uh, well, they have to do it. And, and I think that if they feel like, uh, you know, if they feel they have to do it, they, they are justified. Uh, my point is they should have done that a long time ago. And even in the days of Ike Batista, I don't know if you remember OGX and all of these oil companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Uh, I remember early on, I, I looked at the data, I looked at the, the people involved in it. And in asset management, you know, it's, it's not just, okay, I'm going to buy this bond and get a nice yield. You have to, to look at how, how business is, is existing. And, um, and I remember I told friends, look, don't buy Ike Batista. This is, this is corruption. Uh, and the local SEC never picked them up. So at the end of the day, there's a huge scandal. And, and again, I would say with the, with the meat manufacturers in Brazil, uh, remember the car wash investigation picked up a couple of these brothers who own uh, one of the firms. I, I won't name names, you can find out. Um, but, but, you know, and then they, they, they were cleared because they helped uh, w with the investigation. But at the end of the day, they, they're, they're corrupt. And, and so anybody who looks at Brazil in, with or within, with, within or without an, an ESG framework has to accept that there's widespread corruption. And, and, and so, yeah, I guess if, you, if you're not into investing in corrupt countries, you, you could have a similar conversation about Russia, but then in Russia, you know, it's a different story, right? Uh, it, for each emerging country, you have to think of, of how it works. In Brazil, you have a democracy. And, and so maybe, maybe these points are important. Well, it's an interesting point, and I think the overall governance, I mean, I made in my notes before we spoke, we've just seen the 1MDB, I always get those letters the wrong way around, 1MDB, um, right. scandal come to the fore, and the former premier of Malaysia is involved in that. And then, but I was chatting to Angus Foot, who you know, and we were talking about how in this Zoom world of virtual interactions, can you do the due diligence you need to do? You can't do site visits. And we heard an apocryphal tale years ago of a guy who had been investing in a Chinese firm and he decided to do a, a surprise visit and flew over there and the factory didn't exist. And I'm not saying that could happen on this level, but it does mean you cannot go around to these places and check what they're doing at all. So do you think the emerging markets are suffering more from that? Or I suppose it's a universal problem. But if they're already working from a low base with governance, could that be really challenging for a lot of companies? Yes, you're totally right. Governance is, is essential. Uh, and when I manage money institutionally, I, I didn't dip too 
deep into into a lot of corporates because I I found them not to be transparent enough. Um, and and so, but but you know there are good corporates. But you're right. You you could you could invest in something that doesn't exist. At the governmental level, I think you have to go to every one of the countries. This is what I like the most: to go talk to taxi drivers, uh, go buy the local product, uh, to understand how people transacted, how they they behaved, it, where they uh, they deal with things morally. Did I find that? on a widespread level or was it just in one case or another? Uh, and I think that's because, well, these days it's survival, right? Especially during the, this, the last few months in which businesses just stopped. Um, you, you have to do that. I think any manager who doesn't do that is, is doing a disservice to his clients. Of course. No, that makes a lot of sense. Well, while we're still on governance, let's, uh, governance, I suppose, elephant in the room is Argentina. I mean, progress is is slowing. I read an interesting interview that the the premier, the president, did with the Financial Times, where he he came across as if he's trying to do everything he can, but it's not his fault. Where, where are Argentina at the moment? What is the what is the challenge, and what what is the next step, really? Well, this is this is actually you know uh, an, a really interesting point. If you if you look at two countries these days, you're going to see opposites. You see Ecuador and Argentina um, on the restructuring quote-unquote uh, uh, scenario. Um, the Argentines, in my opinion, came into this restructuring uh, in, in a very aggressive manner. And I think that the investment community should just cut Argentina off the map and never lend them money again uh, because they are a serial uh, criminal in, in the business and and that's just not it's not something that is sustainable uh, especially for fund managers who invest and they, they'd like to go into something that works they've come up with proposals that just don't make any sense uh, they want significant write-offs they they as you said they come out and say that they've come up with a nice proposal um, they probably are suffering but the the point is they have put themselves in that position and so they should somehow take take responsibility and deal with the restructuring in a way that they have to suffer a bit. Maybe they'll learn. Um, I think there will be a deal at some point. I'm not sure if it will be by the end of July or in August, uh, but it will be slower than, for example, with Ecuador. And and here's here's where you know you've got a a beautiful story. I mean, the Ecuadorians, uh, well, they've got problems, of course. Uh, I guess coronavirus really hit them hard. Uh, but they've come up with a, a proposal that didn't include a huge amount of debt write-off. Um, they have reduced the coupons, but to the levels that are not really horrible, if you think about it. I mean, you'll get paid in the end something, uh, and it will be better than you get paid in lots of other places. Um, so I think in the Ecuadorian case, uh, they've they've been super friendly and they've been pragmatic and fair, uh, and investors have matched that uh, by agreeing with a deal. I mean, it's it's not come uh, it's it's not finalized yet, but I think it will be by the end of this week. While the Argentines, yeah, it's they they deserve a zero uh, grade, and uh, they may still get a deal done, uh, but I I think it's it's. It's it's definitely not what they're saying it is, you know. Sure, 
other countries that are struggling at the moment or still also seeking deals lebanon i know is also uh problematic from what i'm understanding uh, things are not developing in lebanon in any direction the government is is obviously not in great shape um because of that um i think that's that's a you know it's a work in progress um the other country that i'm looking at that has sought uh i think lazar for uh, for i to to get ideas on restructuring is zambia and there is a there's a coupon in a couple of days uh that hopefully will be paid on one of the bonds um i think probably they will pay it uh but uh but they you know i think they'll come up with something at some point i i, I think you know maybe i should jump in uh before you ask me the next question but i think you know when we look at the asset class last time we spoke uh i think we were roughly in the same position maybe one or two percent lower um hard currency bonds dollars they're they're anywhere between half and one percent these days on the index level um argent uh sorry uh corporates are up maybe one percent more uh and again we've we've discussed that i think that has a lot to do with with the indices and all but so it's fairly similar type of performance uh, or i guess statistically not not too dissimilar uh, local currency still hasn't done fantastically well. I think the index is down about 3% on the year. Um, so the asset class is, is doing okay. I mean, it's, it's not the crazy stuff that we're seeing with the S&P, for example, which is, you know, back to 3,200. 3, I mean, it's nonsensical. Um, um, but I think, uh, I think the, the elephant in the room these days is what will happen with U.S. elections. Of course, of course. So let's move on to that then, because it seems like it's it, a lot of people I've spoken to over the last month since we last spoke are, are very much in the camp that Joe Biden is Joe Biden's to lose, and if he can take Texas, if he can take Florida, which will uh, will have more of an indication soon, um, then it is going to move things quite considerably, and that will have huge implications for the dollar. I think uh, I don't think it's his to lose. I I I, I actually have reservations about Biden. Um, he you know it and i could get into that uh privately with anybody who wants to um i then you know ask myself can we assume that a biden victory would be bad for the stock market and i think we have to be careful these days with any assumption that we make um because you know i remember in my youth somebody taught me that when you assume you make a something you know first three letters uh, uh of you and me I appreciate your your self censorship there, Raphael. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I I'm not Gordon Ramsay these days in public. Um, <laughs> but uh, but look, I, I think I think yeah. I mean, we have to somehow think that that uh, a Biden victory would probably be worse than a Trump victory. And I I think the U.S. has dealt with some strange issues in the last few months, not just coronavirus, but the the Black Lives Matter issue. Um, and, but I, I go back to, to a point that, that I always say to people, which is the U S economy is capitalism at its best. And so if, you know, at some point the engine will start functioning again, but I would say, you know, I, a very interesting comment that I heard even today, I keep hearing this, uh, I think this on Bloomberg TV. Uh, somebody mentioning that, well, you know, we, we are digging to understand the data these days. And it's very difficult. To, it, it's impossible to understand the data. Everybody, everything 
is coronavirus and it's the lack of uh, economic activity or the change of it and whether it's going to be uh, will continue. So I think we once that is sorted, you'll be able to look at data. You can't say that if Louis Vuitton's numbers were bad for three months, they will continue to be bad or anybody else. So I think I think that's the issue. We have to understand how much we can take uh, the debt. Can we issue debt at very low rates, which is what everybody's got, um, and, and have central banks support uh, the world until a vaccine, which could happen any moment. Uh, uh, and if we can do that, and it's sustainable, you know, for businesses, then you know, countries and businesses will will continue. You know, um, there's just one interesting point on this, uh, and I and I and I say this because everybody t- these days is an expert on coronavirus, um, and I I would say we don't even know, Chris, uh, and and you know, I've I hear all kinds of uh, stories from all sides of the spectrum. Um, we don't know if what we know about Corona is correct. Um, so it could be, you know, one day it's the older people uh, die first, and then the next day it's the kids are, and babies are dying. So I would say that that we have to get back to, to business. We have to obviously protect ourselves. Uh, and then, and, and I think this is what pe- people are becoming pragmatic. They, they understand that they can't just go on vacation uh, for the whole year. Uh, they have to get back, get back to business and, and try to make something out of it. And I think that's what most countries will be doing. I think so. I think a large amount are. I mean, for full disclosure in the background, I'm also working on a piece about what stocks will potentially rise if there is a second wave, because, I mean, the the scenario is still very much out there. So it's just looking at how these things all feed through. And I think you're right. A lot of, com- a lot of countries are trying to put companies back to work for better or worse, and just to see how that goes. And that's going to have huge implications. I think that'll have implications for the election. It'll have implications for countries that are trying to restructure as well. It'll have in, in, global implications. I think yeah. we've covered a lot of ground there. Well, just one, just one comment on that. And interesting on your piece, it's, uh, I guess, if we have a second wave, the question is, who will be affected by it, right? Yeah. Or uh, who will be affected most? You mean in terms of countries, companies, people? Yeah, I mean, uh, age groups, uh, you know, the, not uh, you know, taking the tube wearing a mask, is that going to protect you? Uh, is, is going on a bike and crossing somebody who coughs at you safer? I think these are interesting points that we'll have to, to really assess. Of course. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's going to be the studies are ongoing it is very much complicated. I think we're in a situation you, you made the point about digging the data. We're almost drowning in data at the moment. And it's just making sure that we are picking up the signals and not just the noise. Otherwise, everybody's going to be just sort of chasing their tail. Yeah, but look, one important point, you know, we, we talk about things, you know, uh, economics, politics all the time. Um, two interesting things. Uh, when I look at the manager performance, I continue to see what I've mentioned to you many times, which it's a handful of, of funds that are outperforming these days. Um, there is a push by some to claim that his or her, or its investment, its ESG fund is the best. And, and some, sometimes it's not really, you know, clear. Um, and, and, but, you know, aside from that, the emerging asset class is doing relatively well. You know, if we think about how horrible it could have gone, 
I think the likes of Ashmore, who are always positive on EM debt, uh, they're right. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, there were a couple of, of countries here and there who suffered. I mean, a lot of provinces in Argentina and a lot of credits. But the asset class as a whole is doing quite decently well. I mean, we're back to, okay, flat on the year. Um, but that, that's all right. You know, we've had fantastic numbers last year. So I would say that with the yields you get within emerging debt, I think you're, you're still getting paid depending on what you pick. That segue quite neatly into a point we discussed just beforehand, which was about uh, companies holding up well or companies having plans. And, and one thing we talked about was Mohamed Alarian moving into a, a chair role at Gramercy. Um, I know that he's somebody that you've followed or you've, you've seen through the markets. Do you think that's a, a smart move? And is that could that even be taken as a positive sign for emerging markets in general? Well, look, Mohammed has always been a, a great, uh, a great investor, a very interesting guy. Uh, he's got a big dog. I've got a small dog. You know, I, I like the way he thinks. Uh, he's, 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 he's super, you know, he's a gentleman. And, um, and I think, you know, he, he will do good things at Gramercy. So I, I congratulate him for it. And, um, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people are seeing, uh, the emerging debt class as, as an opportunity. Especially for, for you know, uh, because of what I told you, you know, you, if you can get fairly attractive yields and avoid the potholes, you're going to be doing much better. I mean, would you be buying the S and P at 3250? You've got to to think a lot about it now. Would you be buying gold at 1900? Um, it starts raising questions that, you know. So I think emerging within a global allocation uh, still has its luster, even though it's not gold. I think that's a, as close to a positive note as we're going to finish on, Raphael. So thank you very much. Thank you, as always, for taking the time. Glad you're back safe. Glad that you're uh, not traveling for the foreseeable future, unless you are, and I've misunderstood, and you're off somewhere now. Uh, I'm off for a few days of sunshine. But uh, thanks again, uh, Chris, and thanks for everybody who listens to my my nonsense and uh, you know, hopefully make some sense. Fantastic. Thank you, Raphael. Thank you for taking the time. Always nice to be here, and all the best. Bye.